0: The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. You know, it really should be our daily prayer that God works in us to conform us to the likeness of Christ, right? We say amen to that. Because we know we have not arrived. Somebody think they've arrived this morning. (laughs) It's that work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that God intends to use in our lives to change us while yet we've been transformed and we've been made a new creation in Christ when we trusted Christ, and old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Shortly after that occasion that took place in our life, we all realize that there's still stuff there. And sometimes we realize that in the stuff that is there and the stuff that I'm talking about is the sin that so easily entangles all of us. We all recognize that while some things are in a way, in a sense, they they go away immediately. We find ourselves not doing or thinking the way that we once did, but in every single one of our lives and every single one of us in this room has this condition that there is an old sin that we find seems to be repeated at times in our lives. Would anybody admit to that? Let me see your hands. Okay. That's what we're going to deal with this morning. We see it in Abraham in chapter 20. The last time we see Abraham, uh, he's, he's praying over the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Butch did a great job last week of expounding those chapters. And we see Abraham, this man of faith, interceding, and God delivers Lot and his two daughters from Sodom, and his wife turns around, and she becomes what? A pillar of salt, wanting to go back to all that Sodom represented. And and we might ask the question, what's happening here with Abraham in chapter 20? Because we see Abraham really in this victorious state as a prophet of God, praying over Sodom and Gomorrah and pleading with God, God, if there's just ten, would you spare the city? And, And then comes along chapter 20. Let me read verses 1 and 2 to you so that you understand what I'm talking about. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to his wife, excuse me, and Abraham said to his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? we could just replace that that name or that location and we could plug in their egypt because just a few chapters over abraham did the same thing when he goes into egypt he says hey sarah tell him you're my sister and in fact sarah was his half sister we find that in this passage same father different mother and so in one sense abraham was telling the truth but in another sense he was not telling the whole truth, right? And so he goes into this place and he tells Abimelech, listen, this is my sister and and she's not my wife. And as a result of that, we know that Sarah was a beautiful woman. He takes her into his harem to be one of his wives. And Abraham has this repeated sin that it seems as though he always kind of goes back to. Maybe you can relate in your life a repeated sin that you always go back to and you swear, I'll never do that again, right? And we may have some victory for some time, but bam, those old patterns are hard to break. Amen? Abraham's sin happened to be that when when the pressure got on Abraham, he would tell a lie and trying to take control of the situation in his own hand. Now, that was sin. It's not, not trusting God, not believing in God. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 11 says this, Like a dog returns to his vomit, a fool uh, a, is a fool who repeats his folly. That's a, that's a pretty picture, isn't it? That's a pretty good word picture in your mind? As a dog returns to his vomit, this is from Proverbs... So is a fool who repeats his folly. Peter repeats this when he's talking about false prophets, and by, by no means am I implying that, that, that Abraham is, but, but it's a proverb, the same proverb that he repeats. He says, what the true proverb says has happened to them, meaning those who were part of the church, but they really weren't. He says, the dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to waddle in the mire. kind of compounded when we remember back in chapter 12 when Pharaoh discovered that Sarah was really Abraham's wife. He says, what have you done to me? Why did you do this to me? Now here, wife, take, go, literally in the Hebrew. Take your wife and go because you brought this calamity on my house as a result of your sin. We might ask the question, what's happening here? Why all of a sudden is Abraham going from this pinnacle of prophet praying over Sodom to reverting back to this old sin? Can I propose to you that the answer to that question as to what is happening here can really come from our own heart? You see, because we deal with the same thing. Can I get an amen on that? I, I have two guys' groups that I meet with, we call them discipleship groups. And one of the great things about our discipleship groups, as we do the Grace acronym, we, that A is for accountability, and we share with each other these sins that seem to be a propensity in our lives, that we find ourselves over and over falling to these same things, or just really. And, and listen, it, it can be a sin as as what we might call minimal as not trusting God to one of the, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with women who do kind of sins, right? Listen, sin is sin in God's eyes. Can I say amen to that? We put categories on it, but God really doesn't. But each one of us, because of our condition before we came to Christ and our flesh, which was conditioned by our old nature, we all have certain propensities to sin in our life that we can find ourselves going back to, maybe not as often. The good news is is that there is hope and there's victory in the power of the Holy Spirit, so I don't want to leave us defeated in that, but we all know these areas of temptation that we struggle with more than any others. This last Tuesday night, um, the young young guys that I meet with, I I find it encouraging. You know why? Because this younger group, this younger generation is far more open and vulnerable to confess their sins to one another so that they might be healed than us older generation that, that everybody expected that when you come to Jesus, everything's right and you're perfect, and we can't share those things with one another and be healed of those sins. That's one of the reasons our discipleship groups, our small groups are so important, is that it's in that relational discipling platform that we're able to share with one another, those we trust, those we love, so that we might gain victory over these areas in our lives. Hebrew writer says this about this sin, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, he says that it is the sin that so Easily entangles or sin which clings so closely. Perhaps you're sitting there saying, JMO, well, you may deal with that, but I don't deal with that. Listen, Abraham dealt with it. The writer of Hebrews understood it and dealt with it, and Paul dealt with it as well. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter uh, excuse me, Romans chapter seven. Here's what the great apostle says about these besetting sins that he found in his own life. Now, is there any other New Testament character that you might, besides Jesus, I mean, Paul's up there, right? Yeah? I, I mean, he's that guy, if you will. But listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. How many of us would say we delight in the law of God in our inner being? We want to do what pleases God, right? It's our desire, or it should be. If that desire is not there, then we have either grown calloused and hard-hearted or we haven't been born again. You see, that desire doesn't come in the natural. That desire doesn't come from the flesh. The flesh is corrupt. But where the Spirit of God is and He's living and active in our lives, we have that desire to do what God would call us to do, to do what's right. Right? But, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Notice the pronoun that Paul is using here. It's my. Paul is saying, I deal with this. He's not standing on a pulpit and saying, you all are sinners and you deal with that, right? Right? But Paul recognizes this law that's in work, at work in him, that old nature, if you want to call it, that flesh, while we are dead to the old man, the old nature, that flesh which has not been sanctified, has not been saved, still rails in every single one of us. Amen? If you don't believe me, just ask your wife. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? from the body of death. In the, in the original language, it's, it's that, oh, wretched man that I am. There's an agony there in the context of the verb that's used, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see, we all deal with that. And so, all the ground at the cross is level. Aren't you glad you're in good company? (laughs) Now, is that an excuse for us to sin? Absolutely not. Because Paul says that, that we're not to take advantage of the grace of God. And so, well, God knows just the way I am. He knows that I sin, so I might as well go ahead and do that. No, 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 no. That's just kind of crucifying Christ over and over again is what Paul says, and we don't want to take advantage of the grace of God. But when we recognize the grace of God, I see a law, if you will, at work in that, that when God's grace is poured out abundantly, it causes us to have a desire that we want to please Him, that we want to serve Him, because His grace is so magnificent in our lives, and it causes us to do that. You see, we each have different propensities. Abraham just happened to be that when he was pressured, he wanted to trust in himself rather than God. You know, Abraham kind of that thing said, God, Lord, I I, I trust you. I know that you can do it, but I just want to make sure that you do it right. <laughs> we see the sin that's identified. Oswald Chambers wrote this. I love this quote. He says, God can achieve His purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the, abund- or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen to use nobodies because their unusual dependency on Him made possible the unique display of His power and grace. He chose and used some bodies only when they renounced dependency on their natural abilities and their resources. And the Bible says that God uses the foolish to confound the wise. How many of us want to be fools this morning? You see, it's that total dependency on God and that denial, that, that, that desire that Abraham would have had to have wanted to fulfill God's plan through his own fleshly efforts. We, we know how it was for Abraham, don't we? Think about this for just a minute. Abraham's under the pressure here, and he, and he relinquishes and, and doesn't tell the full truth. Somebody would say, well, you know, I never lie. Have you ever misled to control a situation? Am I meddling now? I don't remember what it was this week. It was something along these lines. Did you use this towel to wipe your hands? No. Now that's self preservation. That's not lying, right? It could have been a number of things, right, baby? Yeah. Maybe lied to kind of ensure our comfort. Maybe give the, the, the false impression of, of desiring that others might think better of us. You know what guys have a habit of doing, propensity of doing? You ever been with a group of guys and a guy says, You know, I caught this fish? Huh. Yeah, we well, ought to see the fish I caught. To, to embellish. And at the root of that is not having a trust and a reliance in who God has made us to be, right? And so we, we can see the yanks. Now, thank God for his intervention. Can you say amen to that? Because here here Abraham is, and and he lies to Abimelech. Abimelech takes Sarah. But he did not know her, the Scriptures say, but God came, verse 3, to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. That's pretty clear and blunt, right? You're a dead man because of this. Now, Abimelech had not approached her physically, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did, did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, "'He is my brother. God, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this.'" Then God said to him in a dream, "'Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet.'" By the way, this is the first time the word prophet's used in Scripture so that they will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die and all who are yours. Now, we know that God had promised Abraham a son. As a matter of fact, He's given a timeline to this. As previously, He said, Abraham, within the next year, you're, you're, that promise of the son is going to come to you. And and Abraham knew that that God was going to use Sarah. God had already told him Sarah would bear a child that would be yours. And given that information, Abraham had to have known or or knew maybe cognitively, but not faithfully, is that a real word, faithfully? that God was going to fulfill his plan the way that he said he was going to fulfill it. But he comes here in this land and he says to Abimelech, Hey, it's my sister. God was not going to allow his plan that he had promised and he had made a covenant with Abraham that he would be the one that would bear this promised son that all the nations, even us, would be blessed through. God was not going to allow his plan to be thwarted. And so God intervenes in this and he comes to Abimelech. That gives us hope to know that God is faithful. And as God has decreed it to be so, as God has made the promise, God will see it come to pass. Amen. Just as he fulfilled this promise, he is going to fulfill the promise that Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to take those that are his to be with him for all of eternity, those who have trusted in Christ. If he said it, it's going to happen. Amen? You see, God is faithful. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13. He says, if we are faithless he remains faithful. Even in the midst of Abraham's faithlessness, God remained faithful and was going to bring about and did bring about what He promised. We worry sometimes, can we thwart the plan of God? And the answer is no, and God is showing to Abimelech here, hey, I am the all-powerful one. It's not because of your goodness that you didn't take Sarah to be your wife. It's because my plan has been decreed, and I am going to see that it happens. Can I give you some good news? That while there may have been times in your past and my past where we have been faithless, God has promised that He works all things together for good in the lives of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. In Genesis chapter 50, he tells Joseph, or Joseph tells his brothers what man intended for harm, God intended for good. God is sovereign and God is going to bring about His will and His purposes in His life and in the church and in the body of Christ. Paul says this of those Jews of the, the Israel in Romans chapter three, verse three. Chapter three, verses three and four. He says, "Will their speaking of the Jews with their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar." Now, beginning in verse eight. We have the confrontation. First we have the sin, then we have God's intervention, and now the confrontation that takes place. Follow along with me, beginning in verse uh, verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, and he called all of his servants, and he told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, "'What have you done to us?' And have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Have you done to me things that ought not to be done? And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you why did, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, Now, now take note of what he's saying here. Abraham's excuse that he gives when he's caught with his hand in the cookie jar by Abimelech. He says, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness that you must do me, at every place to which you come, say to them, he is my brother. Can you imagine the position that he put Sarah in. You might you might call this um, domestic blackmail. Abraham put Sarah in a position that, that what was she going to do? You can say, I'm not going to say that. Note one, sometimes our sin will cause us to bring others in with us in those types of difficult situations. You follow what I'm saying? Hey, just go along with me in this, okay? Go along with me in this. I, I, I notice here that. Abimelech, this pagan Canaanite, seemed to act more righteous than righteous Abraham. Three things I want us to see in this verse real quickly, verse 11. Or might I say three problem areas. Number one, look at the phrase, I thought. I thought. Was it an inkling of, God, what do you think? I thought. The Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God, and He will do what? He will direct your paths. You see, whenever I rely on my own reasoning, whenever I rely on my own abilities to, to, to strategically, cognitively... Determine a situation, I can know that that's a sign that I'm going to get in trouble. I thought that's problem number one. Problem number two is this problem number two is I, I, I thought that there was no fear in this place. Now, that word fear means a reverence or an awe of God. Could have been a sense of arrogance, could have been out of experience with Sodom, I'm not sure. But Abraham had concluded that there was no fear of God in that place. Abraham had already witnessed that there was a man named Melchizedek, the prince of Salem, where there was a fear of God. You see, we never need to get the idea that there's no fear in this place. We never know who God has in that place. Amen? And so Abraham reasoned in his own mind that that there was no fear in this place. I, I kind of see that in a sense, Abimelech had a greater fear of God than Abraham had a fear of God in this situation. You see, a fear of God is what keeps us, what causes us to have a desire and to act in our will of those things which are right. I wish I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable, okay? In other words, I'm opening myself up a little bit here. I wish that my love for Jesus kept me from some of the things that I know are wrong. It's not to say that, that that's not there, but sometimes in my life, the things that have kept me right has been a fear of God. You see, God doesn't treat sin tritely especially in those who are His. The Father disciplines those who are His out of His love for them so that they might share in His righteousness, the writer in Hebrews says. There were things growing up that, that I didn't do because I had a fear of my Father. Not that he, not to give the picture, some, some may have had an abusive father, that kind of, that's, that's not it. I had, a, I had a fear. There was an honor that I had for my father, and I knew my father would not put up with any mess, right, Sharon? You knew my dad, your uncle. Your dad was the same way, two of the most gentle men I ever know. When I was spending a night at your house, I knew Uncle Jim didn't put up with any mess, Right? You see, a good dose of the fear of God is good for us. We're living in a culture where there seems to be no fear of God whatsoever. And unfortunately, that culture has had a great bearing on the body of Christ in that we seem to have forgotten the fear of God. As we sang this morning that God is holy, God help us to have a greater dose of the fear of God and a reverence for you. Let me, let me close this. The last thing that we see in this passage, though, is God's incredible grace. Read with me, beginning of verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. So to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children, for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God is a gracious God. You and I blow it every single day of every single year of our life. But thank God for His grace. Thank God that He gives us what we do not deserve, and He does not give us what we do deserve out of His mercy, right? We see where He displayed His grace here to Abraham. Abimelech had every reason to just sit Abraham out on his way. But I think in grace, He gives Abraham all of this stuff, more sheep. The same thing happened in Egypt. Now, that shouldn't give us the idea that, okay, we sin, it's going to pay off. Sin never pays off. We see it in in Sarah's life. Now, you say, well, Sarah didn't do anything wrong. Yes, she did. Sarah went along with the lie as well. God gives, and we especially see it in the life of Abimelech because Abraham prays. He intercedes for Abimelech and God heals and opens up all the wombs in the land because God had closed them as a consequence of Abimelech's actions. Ian Duggan's Writes in his study of Abraham, he says this God's ability to use even our sins for his own purposes shows that he doesn't love us simply for the great things we can do for him. There's an additional verse to the children's hymn, Jesus Loves Me, that we don't sing very often, but that captures the aspect of God's love perfectly. That second stanza to Jesus Loves Me is this, Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, though it makes Him very sad. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. There's grace in our Repeated area of struggle, whatever that might be. Grace and forgiveness and restored back into fellowship with God. But I would be remiss if I didn't say this. But that same grace that forgives us of those sins is the same grace that empowers us by the Holy Spirit to have victory over those sins. Amen. You have anything this morning? That when I when I said that word, that that repeated sin that came to your mind, you know what it is. That you want to pray in closing and say, God, I know I've come to you so many times before in this, but God. I I confess that, Lord. I I want that removed. I want the guilt and the shame removed of that because it's affected my fellowship with you and it's affected my fellowship with others. i got to lay it at your altar one more time, Lord. Take it. And God, I pray that you grow me through the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God, that I might consider myself to be dead to that sin and, God, give me victory over that because, God, I love you and I want to do right. God, I want to please you. It's not that I, I think I'm going to gain more love from you, but, God, it's my desire to express my love for you in obedience. I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. Wherever you are in those two continuums, I would ask you to agree with that in prayer. and The Holy Spirit will answer that prayer at the close of our service, I'm going to be here with others. If you want prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Also, if you've never experienced that grace of God in the initial forgiveness of sin for salvation, I want to ask you to come see me at the close of the service. I want to tell you how you can have a relationship to Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, to be empowering in your life, so that you might grow in Him, Father we thank You for Your grace. God, we thank You for Your mercy. God, every single one of us in this room know what that besetting weakness or sin is in our lives. God, we confess that to You, God. Lord, we know that You'll never turn us away. God, if our hearts are not truly repentant, God, bring that about in our hearts, God. Father, we we thank You for Your grace and Your forgiveness, but God, now we pray, God, that we would rely on Your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, God, so that we might have victory over this area of sin in our lives. God, we pray that as a body of believers through our small groups and our discipleship groups, God, that, that, Lord, we we would not cast stone or tell the brother to take the speck out of their eye when we have a stinking log in our eye, God. Recognize, God, all of us, all of us so need Your grace and Your mercy. Lord, if there's one here present this morning or watching online that the Holy Spirit is drawing them. God, we pray that they would respond in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.